Well, thanks, John, and good evening to everyone. This Armageddon is site for the coming unimaginable Middle East war. It's almost like a mouthful, isn't it? But the reality is we've got a war coming, and the Bible describes it as Armageddon. It's a term that people in the world, in church world or even outside of the church, will understand has got something to do with great judgments which are going to be coming upon this earth, great things which are going to terminate uh, lots of places on the earth. Now, if you're using a, a Bible, then we'll be uh, uh, coming back to this section which was just read just a minute ago in Joel chapter 3, so you can put something there. Um, the Bible references are basically going to be online um, on the um, computer, so uh, they'll be there for you to have a look at. Now, the first one we want to go to, though, is Revelation chapter 16, because it's the only place where the word Armageddon is actually used. And... Uh, and um, we'll go there, but if you have got a Bible, like I said, just put something in Joel 3 if you've got something there. We will be back there a number of times going backwards and forwards. Okay, Revelation 16, verse 14, it's the end part goes, which goes forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. And so we've got now, it's a battle coming up, it's a great day of God Almighty, and then it goes on to say, say to, also we see God's going to gather the kings of the earth. There's all these little bits we're going to pick up as we go, and we're going to see how God's working among the nations and eventually to bring them to the final time of Armageddon. Now if we go on to verse 16, it says, And he gathered them together into a place called, in the Hebrew tongue, Armageddon. Now, it's the only time that this word is used. It, we get a clue to its uh, meaning. It says it's a, in the Hebrew tongue. In actual fact, it's in the New Testament. And the New Testament, basically, the original language is Greek. And, but this one says specifically the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. So it's a, it guides us or leads us to look towards getting an understanding of what's actually in the word. Now, if we're to have a look... It's made up of three words, Arma, Gedun. And the word Arma is from the Hebrew word Arima. And a heap, of sh a heap it's actually, is the idea of the word Arima. And specifically referring to a sheaf. Now, what we've got in the, uh, the background here is the portrayal of, a, of, a, of what's called a threshing floor, which was used in uh, ancient times and even in times today, in, depending on the country. Um, and what we have to uh, hear is these things are called sheafs and what happens is, is grain is actually cut down and they're sort of put together to make what's called a sheaf. Now the idea behind this uh, um, threshing, as we're going to have a look at in a minute, is that we've got grain at the top here and it's like we've got here like wheat. Um, the wheat is wanted but obviously the grass part is not wanted. So there's going to be a process to get to get the wheat or the grain um, and uh, in, in the natural, in the, in the physical thing that is done, and then eventually you remove the chaff. Now, if we go on to the word ge, ama ge, ge is from the Hebrew ge, g o ge ge, and it means a valley. And so we're looking now at a valley. It's a heap of sheaves in a valley, and it says the last part is don or judgment. Now, what we've got here is a picture of someone who's actually doing some threshing, um, and we're going to see why we bring that in in just a little while. The, what the person does is they get this grain to These grains are at the top of this, whatever type of um, grain it is, and they have all these stalks, which are, have eventually been taken, and you'll see at the back here there's all these stalks laying around. They'll pick them up, they'll come, and what this person will do is hit this table, and while they hit it and bash it, what they're looking at doing is, is separating the grain 
um, from the rest of the, the stalk, for first off. The grain will be either on the table or it will fall through, as you can see here. But in amongst that, uh, that grain will be chaff. So what happens then is that the, the chaff has to be separated from the, uh, from the grain. And what would happen is uh, they, would, they would throw the chaff and the grain into the air. A little bit of wind, a little bit of breeze would take away the chaff because it's lighter. The heavier grain would then fall down. So we've got a total separation process here. And that's where we get the idea of judgment. Yeah, so we put it together. We've got Armageddon a heap of sheaves in a valley for judgment. Now remember it's the last great, it's the great battle of God Almighty where he's gathering the kings of the earth and he's going to gather them together for judgment. And so what we do now is we see and start to put it, the idea together. We've got Armageddon is a place because it says gathered together in the, the place called Armageddon. So it's a place or a location on the earth. We've also got now, it's where all nations will be gathered for war. God's going to gather them together and there's going to be war. It's a battle. And God will have gathered them there to judge them because that's the idea of the word, Armageddon, judging. Now, in our reading tonight was, was uh, Joel chapter 3. Um, we picked out to pick up this idea of the judgment again and we started to get an idea where the place actually is. Pardon me. In Joel chapter 3 and verse 2, it's God speaking now through the prophet, prophet Joel, about 600 years before the Lord Jesus Christ was born. And he says, And I'll also gather all nations, and I'll bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat, and will plead with them there for my people, and for my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and parted my land. All right, so we have got now, it's the Valley of Jehoshaphat. Now, that fits the bill with our name, doesn't it? Armageddon. It's uh, the get, the valley. He's going to gather a heap of sheaves or the nations to a valley. So we're starting to get a bit more information of the location, where it's going to be. Jehoshaphat has got the idea of the judgment of God. So we're starting to really have those ideas coming together now of Armageddon. Now, also, we get what we see is that there's a valley which is to the east of uh, Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem. It's in between uh, the, uh, the Mount of Olives and the city of Jerusalem, and it's called the Kidron Valley. And some people will say that the Valley of Jehoshaphat is in actual fact the Kidron Valley. Now, it, it, whether it is in actual fact the Kidron Valley, or sorry, the Valley of Jehoshaphat or not, probably doesn't matter because what we're going to do is we're going to see that by location, it most certainly is the Kidron Valley. Um, some would say because it, there was a battle that Jehoshaphat had was quite away from the city of Jerusalem and maybe that was the valley down there but most certainly the valley referred to by, by location in other scripture is the Kidron Valley and so the Kidron Valley is between Jerusalem and the Mount of Olives in the east of Jerusalem and we're going to see that picked up by other scriptures as well so if anyone's been to Jerusalem, what you do is you, you, you've got the city of Jerusalem or East Jerusalem. You see pictures of the Temple Mount and you see the Dome of the Rock. Now as you would head east, you come out and you'll immediately come into this valley which is on the east. You cross that valley and go up and onto uh, what's called the Mount of Olives. Uh, we would call it, in our, a lot of places, it would only be called a hill, but it's, but it's most certainly referred to as a mount. It's a, it's a uh, project just uh, to the east of Jerusalem. And so now we've got our location being identified for us, and we'll see the scripture identifies it uh, a lot uh, more as we go on. Joel chapter 3, verse 1 starts to give us the time period as well. 
Joel 3 verse 1 it says, For behold, in those days and in that time when I shall bring again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem. So we're looking now at a time period when Judah and Jerusalem are back in the hands of the, of the people of Israel, the Jewish people. They went for 1900 years after the Romans had dispersed them through the Roman Empire. They destroyed Jerusalem, sorry, yeah, yeah, Jerusalem in 70 AD. There was another rebellion in 132 to 135. It was called the Bar Kokhba Rebellion. And for a time there, they had driven the Romans out. But the Romans came back in force and Jews actually in their own history say that the real final dispersion, this was the one in the time of uh, after the Bar Kokhba Rebellion. And they were just cast into, the, into all the, all the uh, empire at that time and Jerusalem was ploughed um, as a field at that time. And so, okay, the time will come, that was 18, 1900 years ago. So we're now looking to the time when, again, they're going to come back into captivity. It's going to come back to the Jewish people. And what we do is we start to look at that area of Judah actually came back into the, the hands of the Jewish people in, on the 14th of May, 1948, when the nation of Israel was declared as a nation back in the earth. Prior to that, it didn't exist as a nation. Jerusalem came back into the hands of the Jewish people in 1967 when, with the Six-Day War. And so we're looking at a time period, and it was in that time period when God says he's going to bring the people down to the Valley of Jehoshaphat and he's going to judge them. And so we're really looking at a time period around our time that we're looking at because um, 1967 was, what, 33, about 50-odd years ago, 56 years this year. So time is moving on. And uh, so it identifies we're in the time period. Now, if we turn to another prophet, and uh, in, he wrote somewhere around 400-odd BC, um, he says in Zechariah chapter 14 and verse 2, he says, I'll gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, the houses rifled, and the women ravished, and half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. All right, now what we've got again is another identification of, of the fact that Jerusalem is going to be the area, that Israel is going to be the land that's going to be the, the site for this coming unimaginable Middle East war, the site for Armageddon. And we go to uh, Zechariah chapter 14, verse 3. We see it says that then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. And in verse 4, we see then it talks about when the Lord goes forth to fight, when God now is about to bring the whole system to an end, when he gathered the kings of the earth, those ones of those sheaves, and he put the sheaves all together and he brought them down into this valley of Jehoshaphat and they get, get ready for judgment. And it says in Zechariah 14 verse 4, And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. Now, there we have it again. So we get confirmation about where in actual fact it is. God's telling us it's before Jerusalem, it's on the east. And in between that Mount of Olives is the Kidron Valley. <coughs> we'll talk a bit more about that in just a little while as we pick that verse up again a bit later. All right, so and we have a look again to at the time period and we have another prophet who, was, who wrote somewhere around uh, 600 years before the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. His name was Ezekiel. And in the, in the uh, prophet Ezekiel's writings of chapter 38 and verse 8, 
we see it says here, it says, after many days thou shalt be visited in the latter years. Now, in the latter years we see as an expression to the end of time, the time when Armageddon will be coming upon the earth. And in the latter years, it's a time that we're in. We're in these latter years as we saw before, at the time when Judah or Israel and Jerusalem are back in the hands of the Jews. It goes on to say, thou shalt come into the land that is brought back from the sword and is gathered out of many people against the mountains of Israel, which have been always waste, but is brought forth out of the nations, and they shall dwell safely, all of them. Now, when it says thou, right at the beginning here, it says thou, we're going to see that that's going to talk about Russia. We're going to talk about, it's going to be talking about Ukraine as well. It's going to be talking about Europe and some other parts as well, but we'll come to that in just a minute. But that whole force now will come into the land that's brought back from the sword. And as we mentioned before, for a period of 18, 1900 years, the, the Jewish people were dispersed throughout the world. They had no country, no identification, except that they had a Jewish Jewish uh, heritage, and that's about all they had. But they came to be a country once more. They're brought forth out of the nations, he says. So in 1948, as we said before, though Israel was declared a nation, but they're brought forth out of the nations, and they dwell they shall dwell safely, all of them. And so what we're looking now is God gives us more identification points to be able to see that we're on the right track in what we're, we're looking at. And we have here a picture in the back of what happened during the Holocaust, in the, in the Second World War, 1939 to 1945, World War II, six million Jews were killed by the Nazi regime under Adolf Hitler. And so God was going to now gather all the Jews now out of all nations. He's going to bring them back into their land. And before, before uh, World War II, the, the, the Jews were quite comfortable in Europe. They had nice jobs, they had nice homes. And when people asked them to come back to the area of Palestine, which was just nothing but a swampy old land, they didn't want to do it. Can't blame them, can you, really? That's how we'd have been too, if we had that same offer. But Israel rose out of the ashes of the Holocaust because God was going to bring it about. God was going to do, be the one bringing it about. They didn't have really a say in it. They thought they were safe, making their own destiny, but God was doing it. And so he rose up out of Hitler that he might be the one who was a hunter, as described in the Bible, who would hunt the Jews home. And once World War II finished, the Jews jumped on anything they could that floated to get them back to the land which was at that time described as Palestine. Today it's called Israel. <coughs> and we said God brought them back. Ezekiel 37, verse 12, it says this, Therefore prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of the, your graves, and I'll bring you into the land of Israel. And so they rose out of the ashes of the Holocaust because God was pulling them back to, to this land. They didn't want to go at first, but he was bringing them back. On the 29th of November 1947, the United Nations sat down to consider the, the idea about partitioning the land which we, we see today as Israel, and, and at this time it was called Palestine. The areas in the, in the blue are, were going to be given to the Jewish people for a Jewish state. The areas in the brown there were actually given, or brownish colour there, were, given, were allocated to the Palestinians in order to form a Palestinian state. The Palestinians rejected what the United Nations had uh, submitted and they then went to war against the Jews at the time. Though the idea was that they would drive every Jew out of that, that land into the sea. It didn't work. 
And on the 14th of May, 1948, as we've said before, the, the Jews de declared themselves a nation. They took up the idea, the promotion that was put forward by the uh, United Nations at that time. And they became a nation. And so we got now, as we look at that verse again, and just things that have come out of that third verse 8, that Armageddon is really ringing, ringing through, through it. And we've got then the time period when Israel possesses the land. They've been there for 70-odd years. That Jerusalem's been back on their hands for over 50 years. We're in the time period. The location is the land of Israel. So we now know the site of Armageddon, as God's going to bring the nations to the battle of Armageddon, to the place called Armageddon. And verse 9 says, Thou shalt, in Ezekiel 38, verse 9, says, Thou shalt ascend and come down like, come like a storm. Thou shalt be like a cloud to cover the land, thou and all thy bands, and many people with thee. So we're looking at a war, we're looking at a battle. God's gathering together now as these heaps of sheaves are being gathered together, and God's getting ready to now bring, uh, uh, do the threshing and, and do separation. Location again, the land of Israel. No question about it. Now, in verse 2, we mentioned before about the fact that uh, the, uh, Russia and others were going to be involved. And the Bible identifies for us. In verse 2, it says, Son of man, set thy face against Gog, the land of Magog, chief prince of Meshech and Tubal, and prophesy against him. Now, the, the, the language is, is hard for us. It's difficult. Because if we pick up a Bible, we're not familiar with what's actually being said. Um, the, the prophet wrote 600 years before the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's using terms relating to those areas at the time and, and different uh, um, people. The one that uh, is relating to a person which is actually going to be a leader. It's the word gog. It's, it's someone who's going to be a leader or one at the top is going to lead these people down. Magog actually is an area. It's an area called Central Europe, as we'd have it today. The chief prince is better, better to be understood and, and is rendered by a number of other versions as the Prince of Rosh. And Rosh is the ancient name for Russia, or the former name for Russia. In actual fact, as we see the Ukraine war at the moment, the, uh, the capital of Kiev is actually where the Rosh actually uh, had their foundations or started off, and uh, we can see... Uh, the Russians want that back. It's part of their heritage. Meshach equals Moscow, which is the current capital of Russia. Tubal equals Tobolsky, the current area called Siberia. So we're looking at this area now that's been described for us. And then we go, well, we look at Magog, just to look at the area that's here. Magog actually is related to what's called the Scythians. Now, the Scythians, according to Herodotus, uh, actually went, occupied the area from the Danube, Pardon me, to the Don. Now, if you can see those are right, Danube to the Don. What they did to did do was they actually moved as well further north. And a man by the name of Sicilus has actually described the fact that they moved towards the Baltic Sea. And so they're covering all this area up here. And that's why we say Central Europe for Mago. But we're going to see it overlaps with uh, the area of Ukraine and Russia as well. So Gog of the land of Magog, Prince of Rosh, Meshech and Tubal. So we've got Magog, that area there. We've got Rosh is this area, Moscow, Tobolsk or Siberia. And then what happens, we then have this overlapping area which takes in the land of Magog as well as the Prince of Rosh. And lo and behold, it takes in Ukraine, which is where all the war is at the moment. 
All right, so Ezekiel chapter 38, verse 15, we've got a great and more identification. The natural fact the Bible is talking about Russia. It's not something that's just being picked out. It's uh, geographically defined as well. And in verse 15 it says, And thou shalt come from thy place out of the north parts, thou and many people with thee, all of them riding upon horses, a great company and a mighty army. They, the north parts is, can be rendered uttermost parts of the north. And so when you look at the uttermost parts of the north, you go directly north. You go past uh, Syria, you go past Turkey, past the, the Black Sea, past Ukraine even, right up until you come to Moscow, as Moscow is almost, almost directly uh, north of, uh, of Israel. And then it says in verse 16, that thou shalt come up against my people of Israel as a cloud to cover the land. It shall be in the latter days, and I'll bring thee against my land, and that the heathen may know me, when I shall be sanctified in the Gog before their eyes, um, a company and a mighty army and so God's going to bring them forth He's, he said he would, it's the battle of Armageddon it's the last book of the, of the Bible Revelation, the Lord Jesus Christ's Revelation and he, he, he indicates it's the battle of God Almighty and he's going to gather the, the kings of the earth now if we go back to Job, Joel in verse 9 it says here proclaim ye this among the Gentiles prepare war, wake up the mighty men let all the men of war draw near, let them come up. And so what we've got now is another indicator of the time period we're in. It's, yeah, we've been told in verse 1 it's, it's going to be time when Israel becomes a nation, when Jerusalem's back in the hands of the Jews, then, then they'll come to the valley of Jehoshaphat, and now we get a time that says, prepare war, wake up the mighty men. And so we've looked for a time period. I mean, men's always been preparing war, but we're now looking at this getting, going through the roof. The nations are just preparing war. South China Sea, tensions appear to be erupting at an alarming pace as Australia uh, is, is warned of the potential of war with China in our region this week. Now, so what's Australia's response? What happens now? We've got all these, we talk about submarines that are being bought. We're talking about billions of dollars of being spent on submarines. But it's not only that. The submarines are going to take some years to get. But they're now talking, looking at putting hundreds of um, cruise missiles now in Australia, particularly on the north there, ready to defend against China. This is all starting to gear up. They're getting artillery systems. They're getting other missile systems ready to defend against China. That's Australia. The, that's where we are now and we're little old Australia and uh, we're about to prepare war now this man has caused a lot of, lot of uh, uh, anxiety amongst those who are leaders of different countries uh, North Korea, uh, Kim Jong-un threatens to use nuclear weapons against the US and South Korea and so what he's been doing he's been throwing missiles and people have they've been seeing what's happening in the news he's throwing missiles across South Korea he's been throwing missiles across uh, Japan and so Japan in response has now put a, a budget over the next few years of 385 billion dollars to gear up they're preparing war the nations are preparing war South Korea is preparing war as they get ready now to counter and fight against this uh, this this threat that's coming from uh, North Korea the Philippines are in the same thing China America all going for it at this time America's uh, well and truly going for it as best they can. They know they're a bit behind in some areas, so they're starting to try and pick up. 
Kim, this is only just only a couple of weeks ago. Kim Jong-un tests terrifying underwater drone capable of triggering radioactive tsunami. Now, what he's got, he's got now drones that can go underwater and there's a nuclear warhead on them. It's very similar to what was uh, publicised by the Russians not too long ago. And so what they do is they put the drone going underwater and as it, they get to a certain spot, they detonate it. And as it detonates, it causes a tsunami to go right across the, uh, the country that's there. And whatever's left after the wave goes across, it says it's a radioactive tsunami. And so there's radioactivity all over the place. This is this man doing it now. And, and while some others might consider some of the other people doing things rational, this man is not considered to be rational. And so, like we said, Japan's going basically as hard as they can to get all this stuff ready now to, uh, to counter this man, as well as Russia, because Russia and China are poking their nose in around... Uh, uh, Japan. And so what he's got too, he's now bragging about the fact he's got 800,000 soldiers signed up to fight in just one day. They're ready to fight America. They're ready to fight. Now, whether it's a lot of rhetoric, we don't know. But most certainly this is what's happening. Kim Jong-un, this is again only a couple of weeks ago, a week and a half ago or something, Kim Jong-un readies troops for immediate and overwhelming nuclear attack on the US. Nuclear attack. He's getting them ready to use the nuclear weapons. Joel 3 verse 9, which we just read, says, Proclaiming you this among the nations, prepare war, wake up the mighty men, let all the men of war draw near, let them come up. Now the word prepare, where it's got prepare war, can also have the idea of sanctify war, make holy war. And so they can make holy war. So we seen, have to look, see now and look for uh, uh, the holiness that's put about a war. Um, and we see here that in, when uh, Russia went down into Syria, that uh, Mr Putin was asked by the Pope, and the Pope said to him, we've got no way of being able to defend the Christians down there, can you please come down and help us? So he said, look, yes we will, thank you very much, we'll come down and do the best. And so he gets his soldiers, and there's little articles here, and he shakes their hand, and he says, "Operation." he calls it Operation Salvation, and with God Almighty's aid, we will shall cleanse Syria. Now this man has got a, a real religious um, side to him in, as he looks towards coming towards doing things. We're now seven years after he's been in there, or six years or so, and we see here the pay, this war now that he's gone into Ukraine. It says, Putin, wait, this is a heading, Putin waging holy war on Ukraine with the help of the Russian Orthodox leader, Patriarch Kirill. So he's, he's waging a holy war, and that's what they see. People are now looking at this. These articles are written by people looking at what's happening. And these two people get together. And an interesting little fact about them is this, is that the 76... And this is another part of an article. Uh, the 76-year-old uh, former KGB officer is, uh, is Kirill. So K Kirill here, who's the head of the Russian Orthodox Church, was a KGB officer. And lo and behold, he's got a mate that was there too as well, and his name is uh, Putin, and he worked for the KGB some 1,600 years uh, for 1,600 years, sorry. And uh, so we see then that they're both KGB uh, people from former times. And so it's going to be a holy war, as far as Putin's concerned. We look down, as we have a look, we see they've, they've got the Alexander Nevsky Church in Jerusalem. As we look at this as an incentive for the Russians to come down to, to Jerusalem. There's been tension between Jerusalem and Moscow and they're rising over the contested Alexander Nevsky Russian church property in Jerusalem's old city. There's been arguments and, and tensions between Jerusalem and, and, and Moscow over the fact that this church, that um, Israel's starting to try and move Russia out and Russia's saying, no, no, we want the church. 
and uh, and so the Russian President Vladimir Putin recently, this is going back two months or so, uh, sent a personal letter to Israeli Prime Minister Naftali Bennett, who was Prime Minister at the time, demanding Israel immediately hand over control of the church. And so we see these things now. Here's his, it's going to be a holy war. Prepare war. It's a holy war and he's ready to come down into Israel. He doesn't know it yet, necessarily. Maybe he's already had those thoughts. We wouldn't uh, uh, be 100% certain. Most certainly, some commentators do think he's had the thoughts already. And it says here, after, this is part of an article, after all, and this is only a week ago, after all, Putin sees Israel connected to his drive to conquer Ukraine. Now, how's that? This is what the articles are saying. They believe that while he's going to go for Ukraine, his eyes are well and truly on Jerusalem. Goes on to say religion plays a, a huge role in Putin's decision making, and both Kiev and Jerusalem are cradles for the Eastern Orthodox Church. And so they see that holiness is, is part of uh, the ideas, ideals that'll be there. And, and many might know that the, the Crimean War, which was 1851 to 53, was actually started between Turkey and Russia. It was started over the holy places in Jerusalem. It eventually moved from that. And they, you know, they started a war and they settled the things in Jerusalem and they kept different. But it started over the holy places in Jerusalem. And so we see almost like a repeat of those things going to happen again. But there's another motive. Ezekiel 38 verse 12 says he comes to take a spoil and to take a prey. He comes to turn his hand upon the desolate places that are now inhabited and upon the people that are gathered out of the nations which have gotten cattle and goods and dwell in the midst of the land. He comes for cash. He's got to be broken. And we see at the moment that the reserves in Russia have been taken. He's got three to $400 billion in reserves and the, and the West has taken them and grabbed them and left him with nothing almost. Now, he says he's surviving good. Others say he's not doing so good. One thing's for certain, he's three to $400 billion down the drain at this stage. So he needs money, he needs cash, and he's going to come to take a spoil when he comes into the land of Israel. And this is, this is our article only again another week or so, or two weeks ago. It says something big is happening. New gas deal with Europe turns Israel into a superpower. It's written by Israelis, so they obviously feel pretty proud of their own country, I suppose. But, but the reality is, we, we see what's happening now, and it's, it's all about the gas. It says here, strategic effect on Russia. There is, a, there is an unspoken strategic consequence of the gas deal. The deal will begin to cut Russia's influence over Europe by changing Europe's dependency on gas away from Gazprom in Russia to Israel. Prime Minister Netanyahu was only over there about a week or two ago and he, he was finalising and, and putting the, the, the nuts and bolts together on a deal about getting the gas from Israel to Europe. And it, the consequences, it says, Russia's not going to be happy. Not happy one bit. Israel moves in Ukraine, um, Israel's moves in Ukraine trigger Putin's wrath. Again, this is only a week or so ago, two weeks ago. What's happened there? Israel has been trying to, to take the, the, the line where they can sort of run the line, being friends with Russia and friends with uh, um, America and, and Ukraine and everyone. But now by not supplying weapons, they might supply first aid equipment, etc., and people there to, to medics, etc., to try and help people. But they haven't been supplying weapons. And Russia has made it quite clear, if you supply weapons, you are no longer our friend. 
And, uh, and so Israel's been trying to tread the line. But only recently now, in the last week or two, again they have said they're going to supply um, anti-missile, anti-drone equipment. Or not supply, they've given them the ability to, <coughs> I mean Ukraine, the ability to actually work with con the companies who have got the contracts. And so Ukraine can now go to those companies and say, we'd like this, uh, these weapons. And so they're basically given the nod to allow those weapons to end up uh, in Ukraine. They're not actually giving them to him, but they're allowing him to use um, the Israeli uh, contractors. And, Isra and Russia's not happy, one bit. The article goes on to say, Russia has continued to sour in its relations with Jerusalem over the latter's seeming movements toward the Western Bloc on Ukraine. Russia has repeatedly warned Israel not to arm Ukraine. Another article, will Russia send troops to Israel's doorstep? Well, the thing is, they have. Israel has been trying to stay neutral in the Russia-Ukraine war, but with each move towards Ukraine that Israel makes, Russia makes an equal move towards Israel's enemies. The fact is, Putin has always had his sights on Jerusalem. This is the part of the article, it's only a week or so ago. He's always had his sights on Jerusalem with Syria inviting him to have more troops in the country, the stage is set for a possible showdown between Moscow and Jerusalem. Now, these are articles that people are putting out. They see something's coming. That's without Bible in hand. We've got Bible in hand, we can see what's happening. Well, there's going to be people with, uh, with Russia, and it's, it's detailed for us in Ezekiel 38, and verse 5 and 6. We get Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya with them, all of them with shield and helmet. Gomer and all his bands, the house of Tagama of the north quarters, and all his bands, and many people with thee. Now, Persia is actually modern-day Iran. Ethiopia is Ethiopia. Libya is Libya. Or well, Ethiopia can be Sudan as well. <coughs> Pardon me. Goma is France, and Tagama is Turkey, and particularly Armenia. Now we're just going to, we're not going to deal with all this. Just a very quick glance at what's happening with Iran, because Iran was the number one on that list. And we we see an article here, which was some time ago, but uh, what it says is that political and p political security and military officials have held a series of meetings. This is in Iran now. Iran. The sources said and have come to the conclusion that Iran should deepen its strategic ties with Russia. Well, why? And the reason is, in the event of an extensive war, Russia will defend Iran from American threats. Ukraine, this is only a week or two ago, Ukraine, Iranian drones leave Zelensky's key infrastructure going up in flames. And so what we've got now is that Russia has run out of some weapons, so they've had to now call on people they know, to get some help with some weapons. One of, the, one of their friends is Iran, and they have got um, drones coming from Iran, and these drones are being used very effectively in, uh, in Ukraine at the moment. Now, what's happened now is Russia's running out again, so they need more drones, and they've done a deal. And the deal basically is, we'll give you drones, you give us your modern F-35, I think it was, jets. And Russia has said, we'll do that. So they're going to do a deal, and Israel is now starting to get a little bit twitchy because they realise that uh, the balance of power in the Middle East could move with uh, Iran having uh, <clears throat> very modern jets. And what happens is that uh, it says Russia warns Israel over Iran. Well, what's happened here? What's happened is Israel bombed the one of the manufacturing uh, companies where uh, the drones are being made. 
Well, Russia didn't like that because they want the drones, and, and so they've now warned them. And see, the relations are going down all the time. It's getting more tense between Russia and Israel, and Russia's eyes are on invading them. Now, this says here, Iran enriching uranium above 60% could trigger a strike from Israel. So all these things are getting tenser and tenser. They could now come and try to do a strike. And here's how Iran's feelings. They're listed as the number one who's going to be with Russia. In the heap of sheets are going to be gathered with the kings of the earth being gathered together, number one with Russia and all those ones with it in Europe is going to be Iran, Iran. And it says here, Iran displays a ballistic missile with death to Israel, written in Hebrew. They're number one, aren't they? They're most certainly in the right, uh, in the right box as far as God's concerned. That's where they'll be. They want, to, they want Israel off the face of the map, and if, if Russia's going to help them, then yes, that's what they'll do. All right, so we go on. Verse 13, there's another side. Sheba, Dedan, Tarshish, and the young lions are going to say out they'll come to take a spoil. And <clears throat> there'll be opposition. Now, what we'll see is that Sheba and Dedan are the Arabian countries, Tarshish is Britain, and the young lions are those that came out of Britain, America and the Commonwealth nations, including Australia. And so we have two sides to our battle, and we're going to see that one side is those with Israel, and they're listed there, and then there's those who are against Israel, and all taken from the scriptures we had it there. And so we're now seeing the, the sides lining up, and the battleground's going to be in Israel. Uh, you know, the, one of the articles said that, <coughs> that uh, um, Russia's on the steps. Will Russia be on the steps of Israel? Well, they're very close already. In Syria at the moment, which we see here, if you can see the map, there's uh, Lebanon in between, there's Israel, and there's where these parts of Syria. We've got this Tarsus, which is a naval Russian, ba a Russian naval base. We've got Hymenium here, a Hymenium air base. It's also a Russian air base. So and they've got troops throughout, particularly fighting up here at the moment. And, and so they are on the doorstep of Russia, They're, of Israel. They're right next door, only kilometres away. would only take a couple of hours by car to drive it, let alone by jet. And so in Zechariah 14, verse 2, we come back there again. It says, All nations against Jerusalem to battle. The heap of sheaves now, as God's gathering the kings of the earth and he's bringing them down. Half of the city's going to go forth into captivity and the residue of the people shall not be cut off. And then shall God go forth and fight as he fought in the day of battle. Daniel 11:41 says, He shall enter into the glorious land and many countries shall be overthrown. And we're going to see, too, that what happens is they're going to come from the army. They're going to come from the uh, navy. They're going to come from the air force. They're all going to come down into that land. They'll come like a storm to cover the land as they come into that land. Verse 19, though, God says he goes forth to fight in, as he did in the day of battle. And in verse 19, he says of Ezekiel chapter 38, he says, in, for in my jealousy and in the fire of my wrath have I spoken surely in that day, <clears throat> pardon me, there shall be a great shaking in the land of Israel. He says, and, uh, and the, so that the fishes of the sea and fowls of the land, etc., etc., and at bottom part there, every wall shall fall to the ground. And so we see now, God's now at this point in time, when he goes into battle against Russia, when Russia comes down and plants his, um, his, his armies in, in, the, in, the, in uh, Jerusalem, he takes Jerusalem, he gets ready now to come out and to fight against the Lord Jesus Christ, as we'll see in a minute. Joel 3.16 says that the Lord shall roar out of Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem. The heaven and the earth shall shake. But the Lord will be the hope of his people and the strength of the children of Israel. As we come back to Zechariah 14, we talk about the part where it's Jerusalem was on the east. It says, in his feet, 
his feet speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. But there are going to be people with the Lord Jesus Christ in this day. And the people with him are going to be those who have been made immortal. They are the believers in truth, the truth of Almighty God. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. But they'll understand truth. The Lord Jesus Christ has come back and he's now given these people a body which is immortal, which is not subject to pain or suffering or death. And they're going to now be with him and they're going to come forward to, to bring this society to recognise and honour God but there's a lot of people who are going to be missing. It says, And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof, toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a very great valley, and half of the mountain shall remove toward the north, and half of it toward the south. Now, if we just have a look here on a map, this is called tectonic plates. These are the major tectonic plates or fault lines that run around the world. And we can see that there's... Right here is where some of them go, and they're all joined together. And so when that earthquake hits, it's going to be that the land, <clears throat> as it is at the moment, will move about 400 metres in to flatten it out. It's going to become as a plain, and there's going to be... this sea here, this is a, a cross-section of what's called the Dead Sea, and then up to Jerusalem. And the Dead Sea is 400 metres below sea level. And what has to happen is that is going to be described in this book of uh, this chapter of Zechariah. We won't be referring to it, but uh, we won't be reading it. But it, it means that this, this sea is going to become a living sea, so there's going to be fish in it. In the moment, there's nothing there because it's all dead. It's salt. And there's nothing there. So it's got to move. This whole area here has to move 400 metres. The, the extent of the destruction of across the whole world is going to be devastating. But God's going to now bring bring all those people down. He's going to have you, um, Russia with all those with him. The kings of the earth are going to be there in, in East Jerusalem. The, the Jews in West Jerusalem are going to be fighting to hang on for their life. And what will happen then is the Lord Jesus Christ and, and those with him described as uh, the sanctified ones who are immortals with him will come to the Mount of Olives. And as the Russians see this, this force now coming as they see it, they'll then move out of the East Jerusalem. They'll move into that valley, the Kidron Valley, the valley of, uh, the valley of Jehoshaphat, and, the, and God will judge them. He's gathered them together in a heap of sheaves into that area called the... Uh, um, the, the Kidron Valley and it'll be there where they'll be judged and he'll bring it to an end for the battle of God Almighty the great battle of God Almighty and that earthquake will hit and the world will change forever Jeremiah 25 verse 33 talks about or describes the time after the earthquake hits and it says the slain of the Lord shall be at that day from one end of the earth even unto the other end of the earth. They shall not be lamented, neither gathered nor buried. They shall be done upon the ground. It's not a pretty sight, but it's going to be a reality. What we want to do is be with the Lord Jesus Christ, be given immortality and glory, in Ezekiel 38, verse 23, at the end of the chapter there, it says, Thus will I magnify myself and sanctify myself, and I will be known in the eyes of many nations, and they shall know that I am the Lord. The end of Joel, towards the end of Joel, chapter 3 there, as we have read tonight, it will come to pass in that day, after, this is after the judgments, that the mountains shall drop down new wine, and the hills shall flow with milk, and the, all the rivers of Judah shall flow with waters, and a fountain shall come forth out of the house of the Lord and shall water the valley of Shittim 
as we're now looking to a time of joy and of happiness. Zechariah 14 verse 9 says, And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day there shall be one Lord and his name one, and that will be the Lord Jesus Christ ruling upon this earth. And it says in verse 16, shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. And so the time has come when they sang at the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, peace on earth and goodwill to men. The time is here that the Lord Jesus Christ is now about to take the kingdom and this earth shall then change. A lot of people are going to be missing. The ones that will be there will be the ones that God has selected. Ones that have selected him and are prepared to work with the Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 72 verse 1. It's a psalm of Solomon. And it says, Give the king thy judgments, O God, and thy righteousness under the king's son. You know, it's, it's written to project forward to the time of the Lord Jesus Christ. When the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who will be King of kings and Lord of lords in the stead of his Father, he'll, he'll be the one who's going to judge in righteousness, and, and he shall be he is the king's son. And in verse 2 it says, He shall judge thy people with righteousness, and thy poor with judgment. We just don't get that today. It doesn't happen today. It never will happen today. Uh, that there'll be righteous judgment. Righteous just simply means right, or right in the eyes of God, and the ways of God. And so it's going to happen here. The Lord Jesus Christ now will be upon this earth and he's going to bring righteous judgment and the people will, will joy to have him as their king. In verse 3, he goes, On the mountains shall bring peace to the people and the little hills by righteousness. It's a picture of, of, of a time when, when tensions are gone, when, when there's a joy on the earth. Verse 4, He shall judge the poor of the people he shall save the children of the needy and shall break in pieces the oppressor. And so again we see the Lord Jesus Christ. And the psalm, fin psalm finishes, Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who only doeth wondrous things. And so God now, who's, who's going to be sanctified in all the nations that came against Jerusalem, he's going to be known throughout all the world. The scripture also says that, that people will, ten men will take hold of the skirt of him who's a Jew. And they say, we want to go to Jerusalem. Because we know that God is with you, as God's going to be honoured and praised in this time. The last verse we look at, or sorry, in this respect, blessed be his glorious name forever, and let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. Now for us all, what we're here for is to help people to be a part of God's plan and purpose, that we might be there to sing praise and honour to him, that we might not be part of those who are dung upon the earth. We might give honour to him and the Lord Jesus Christ has given us the way that each and every one of us can be found worthy to be there in that day as immortals, not going down under the judgments. And in Mark chapter 16, verse 15, he said unto them, the them being his disciples, the he being the Lord Jesus Christ, he said unto them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, to every person, he that believes and is baptised shall be saved. He that believes not shall be condemned. Now the word gospel has got the idea in the original language of the good news, of the glad tidings, things which can, are good to be listening to and, and wanting to know. And the good news is that people can avoid being a part of those judgments. That people can be given a body which is no longer full of pain and suffering and, and agony, which, is going to, which will be changed to immortal and death will be conquered. 
That's what we can all have. And the Lord Jesus Christ is offering that to each and every one of us. But it's not just to believe whatever gospel or whatever good news we like. We've got a church system that has polluted the things of, of the truth down through ages. We've got a whole society that's polluted the ways of God, most not even believing in God at this stage. You have to believe the truth of Almighty God. And we see in Acts chapter 8, verse 12, the, 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 the gospel is defined as the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ will come. He will reign upon this earth and the kingdom will be set up on godly principles like King Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven above. He that believes and is baptised shall be saved. Armageddon is the site of the coming unimaginable Middle East war. May it be that we're found worthy to stand on the right side of the Lord Jesus Christ.